This episode of the Humans of Agriculture podcast was recorded in Toowoomba on the lands of the Gable and Jarrawa people. We'd like to extend our respect to their elders past, present and emerging. Yeah, so I started naively with a, I bought a computer, a mobile phone and a car, and, um, but I'd never used a computer, but a computer. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't good at sending invoices. G'day and welcome back to another episode of the Humans of Agriculture podcast. I hope you've all had an awesome Easter and managed a little bit of time off. This week we're actually heading back up to Toowoomba to sit down and chat with Morton Co's founder, Charlie Mort. Today, he's also their executive chairman and they are one of Australia's largest private businesses. Charlie's history in Aussie Ag goes well back to his ancestor, Thomas Mort, who was one of the pioneers and led the first exports of beef from Australia. Charlie started off his career as a stock and station agent. Working his way up through the ranks, he did get sent back to uni at one stage to study animal nutrition. But as the drought of the 1990s started to creep in, a bloke from Mutterborough called Charlie and assumed that he was the expert in lot feeding. Charlie did go out and see this bloke and did help him put his cattle on feed but then ended up coming clean and letting him know that, well, actually, it was the first time he'd done it. It's fair to say that since then, Charlie has well and truly earned his credentials in lot feeding. He started Morton Co. in 1997. Not a lot of money, he was sought support from other people who could help turn his dream into a reality. Building the business piece by piece, it was really obvious from our time that Charlie had this vision for the business from the very beginning. He's certainly been able to ride the highs and lows alongside his incredible people and continue to innovate. He makes no secret that's, that the success to his business has been all about the people. Enjoy the chat. Beautiful. Well, Charlie, thank you for having us here at your office. It's been good to get to know some of your team over the last couple of days. Yeah, thanks. I'm interested because I think we're even looking on your wall there in terms of the history of the Morton and company kind of name or Morton Co now, but what, what was it like growing up with yeah your your name on some of the big buildings and, and such kind of a rich history in agriculture? Uh, I probably I always knew that there was the history there, but um, I probably didn't. Uh, I had an uncle that uh, used to bring it up a lot with me, and um, because uh, but look, the Morts um, they they made a lot of. Um, they grew a really large business, but unfortunately, I think in the bank crash, they lost most of their money So um, back in the 1890s. So it's a long time ago. Yeah, a long time yeah. Between, yeah. between drinks. Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. Where, whereabouts was home for you growing up? Uh, I was brought up on a property called Franklin Vale, which um, my family settled uh, about 170 years ago, So, um, which uh, my brother and sister-in-law, uh, Harry and Sam, are still there. So... And uh, I've still got some land down in the area there as well. So it's good. Whereabouts is Franklin Bar? Uh, it's just in between uh, Toowoomba and Brisbane. So about an hour from Toowoomba, which yep. um, is great. And so I get down there on some weekends. As a kid, like what what was your involvement in, in ag? Was it just, just weekends as a, a fun uh, kid? No, look, we were, we were uh, brought up sort of working most of the time. Uh, when I wasn't fishing in the creek, the property's got a beautiful creek running through it. So I did a lot of fishing. But other than that, we were always um, we did a lot of horse riding. I rode stubborn ponies. Yeah, no, it was all um, it was all pretty good. There was um, we all learned how to fence and uh, so fence and fish and um, and horse riding. There was a lot of that. A question 
I'd be interested in knowing. What, what would you say if you think back to, yeah, a really happy memory, but your earliest memory of agriculture? Do you, does something stand out? Uh, yeah, probably the riding those stubborn ponies around. But uh, and it all seemed like there was such long days. It seemed like, but it probably wasn't. But uh, we only uh, we only have one set of yards on the property, and so I remember we used to have to walk cattle for miles to get them to the yard. So. Yeah, that was all, um, yeah, that's probably my earliest memories really working there. Um, we did a lot of burr pulling and things like that as well. So I don't, don't enjoy that part. But yeah, the um, bit of horse riding probably a lot of. Yeah. Do you still ride today? Uh, very rarely. Yeah. It hurts too much these days. Yeah. <laughs> in terms of a career in agriculture, what, what were the options to you um, as a teenager? Yeah. Uh, yeah, look, I was always, uh, I wanted to become a stock and station agent and um, it was, uh, so I was, uh, I kept applying for jobs and um, eventually I got one with uh, Primac, which was um, eventually merged with Elders. And, and jack rowing like a... Yeah, I did some jack rowing. I jack down near uh, Bogabilla, down there for a while and then I went and jack up at uh, Wentworth, places near Alpha. I did a couple of years. What's um? What was it? So you, you you got into the agency game through Primag and and then Elders. How long were you with them for? Uh, I was there for eight years. So I started off selling merchandise in Eidsvold. Then I went to Rockhampton as a trainee auctioneer, I guess, and so stock salesman. And then I went to Miles, and uh, the drought was just um, starting back in. Really remember, probably in the nineteen early nineteen nineties. So that's when I started feedlotting. So I actually started feedlotting. I had a um, I had a bloke ring me up from out near Mutterborough, and he rang me up and said, "You're the feedlot expert, I believe." And so that's where I just kept quiet and didn't say anything because I'd never had any cattle on feed. So anyway, I went out to his place and got all the cattle on feed. And um, after I got them on feed, then I told him that I'd never had any cattle on feed. But we're still friends today. So. <laughs> Put a yeah. few cattle through since. Yeah. Did you ever find out where that story began and where it came from? Uh, yeah, I used to do forecasts for people uh, and I could never make it make any money. So yeah, this guy just had to move his cattle, so he ended up putting them in. And he did all right out of it. <laughs> so for you, like you, you mentioned, so your brother's still on the farm today. Was, was it ever a, a possibility that you'd end up there as well? Uh, my father once offered... My mother's got a small property near Dalveen, um, my father offered to buy a sheep property next door to it and uh, put them together. So I nearly ended up running sheep. And um, so that was, uh, I'm quite relieved that that didn't turn out. Well, you didn't want them? No. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, look, the, um, well, the, the way the wool industry was for so many years, I think I dodged a bullet. But obviously, it's great to see them, you know, having a good run now. Coming back. So yeah. that, that first lot lot feeding business was that something that you set up yourself or was it just a you were nearly providing expertise in to someone um yeah so primac had a business called primac feedlot services so primac used to fund the feeding of the cattle and we'd market the cattle and so that's really once i started doing that then primac sent me back to gatton college to finish my course that i'd failed seven years earlier so they um which was actually animal nutrition so I'm about the only person from Gatton College that ever used their, their diploma, I think. Okay. Well, where did you go from there? You've, come, you've been 
out in the world of work and you've gone back to study. How, how was that? Uh, it was interesting, yeah. Um, I didn't, um, yeah, no, it was good going back, but it wasn't as much fun as the first time. So. A little bit yeah. of a sabbatical. Yeah. <laughs> Where did it lead to? Uh, so when I, after going back to college, uh, Primac offered me then to run the feedlot services. So I, I came back and I did that for three years for Primac. And when they were joining with um, elders uh, in 1997, uh, that's when I left and uh, started up Morton Co. Was it, was it a decision that kind of just appeared it was the right one at the time or had it been something which you'd really aspired to? Well, I didn't have any money. but I, I went to see somebody um, and I just talked to them and they, they basically backed me and helped me. So um, that... That family aren't involved in the industry anymore, for, but they were a great help to me at the time. Can you can you go a little bit deeper on that? Like, how does someone ninety seven? Not sure like what age you were, but how did that actually come to life? Uh, well, I, I just um, I guess the the feedlot industry was in a really bad spot. So I, but I think um, I guess my my main um, I thought that there was a place for regular supply of grain-fed cattle to processors. So, and what used to happen was that the meat processors either fed their own cattle or they used to buy cattle in droughts. Nobody actually supplied them regular cattle every week. So that was what I went to the processors with. And, um, and then to back that up, then I found investors to fund the cattle. And so that when graziers weren't putting the cattle on feed, I could buy the cattle. And was it... Starting as a very small business, was did you did you have big bold ambitions or were you pretty tame? No, pretty tame. I didn't. Um, yeah, no. I was. I basically um, needed to make more money. I think that was the thing. So I was. Um, that was, and I didn't. Uh, back then, obviously, sort of. I I wanted to earn a certain amount per year, and um, and that was the main game. I guess I just needed to, but. And it took a long time for it to... Oh, it took a number of years before it became reasonably profitable. And in the early days, was it was it just you or did you start to... Uh, yeah, so I started naively with a... I bought a computer, a mobile phone and a car. and um, But I'd never used a computer. So the computer... <laughs> and um, so, yeah, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't good at sending invoices. And so in a business like this... You've, so I, um, I went to... Uh, I found some... Uh, Ladies that worked at um, at Primac and they came and helped me, and yeah. uh, so they were they were here for twenty years, and so they were fantastic, um, fantastic help. And also a lady from um, from one of the feedlots that we used uh, came and so she came and worked here too, and is still here today. And, and so those those processes was very much a handshake agreement. It was if if they turn up, like how, how did a, the business operate when it kind of uh, yeah, look, I think it's just, I mean, we've, we've always supplied everything that we've said that we would, and that's something that we pride ourselves, I guess, that when we do a deal, and I've done some really bad deals in the past and lost a lot of money on them, but I guess we've always supplied. So yeah. I think there's a, it's interesting in the livestock industry how much trust there is in, and like you'll do an email sometimes, you know, it'll be a, a um, it can be a $20 million, $50 million deal, and um, it's all done, you know, and there's an email just confirming it and nothing else. So. But uh, nobody's ever let me down. 
I don't know. I haven't let them down either. So. What are what are some of those deals that yeah bad uh, ones yeah oh well when I say no one's ever let me down we had a we had a very bad run in China so I um I found out the hard way um, I sent a lot of meat over to China and it um it never got unloaded it um it sat on the wharf and uh, in the end went rotten so which brings me to my ancestors Thomas Mort he um he was one of, he was the first one to he was involved in the first exports of beef around the world and um, frozen beef, and it went off too. So, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, keeping it in the family, yeah. keeping consistently. How did the that go like for for Thomas and um, your ancestors there? Like, was it was it successful? Was that really the the beginning of the refrigerated trade, or did it? Uh, they basically, I think, I think they made a lot of their money out of wool broking, and they were very successful in that and real estate. And then I think the meat exporting, really most of that money was, um, I don't think that they ever made any money out of that, but they were the pioneers in it. Do you think it was, um, they started to move outside their lane? and? Uh, look, I don't, yeah, I'm not sure about that. But I think, I mean, the main thing was the bank crash really sort of was um, the tough thing for them in the late 1890s or whatever. So, yeah, okay. Yeah. In terms of the, the lot-fed business, like... Were you selling as branded beef in those early days, or were you? No, just... no, no. We we were just a supply system basically for abattoirs, and we still do a lot of that now. So we um, we have relationships with a lot of the abattoirs, and so we just supply them on a weekly basis. So many cattle, yeah, and that's still a big part of our business. We used to own any of the cattle ourselves, so we had investors or graziers. Yep. Um, today we own all of the cattle ourselves supply them all through that way so, yeah wow yeah so it's probably it's just easier to manage i guess so. yeah at what stage did you start to get the momentum are you in in this space back in the, the late 90s was it dominated by um by corporates and, and big business yeah there were certainly the big uh the big packers or processors they sort of they ran the feedlotting business i guess um and then the family operations were fairly small, most of them, and um, they there wasn't a lot of finance available from banks for feedlotting. So that was probably one of the we were um, we were lucky to have a relationship with NAB back then. We got some good systems in place for um, lot feeding for ourselves, and so that um, that helped us grow the business a lot. And and those early years, yeah, when when did the momentum start to come? Uh, probably the biggest momentum was when we built Grassdale out at um, and started owning our own feedlots. Um, so we we bought a feedlot down uh, Gunnee, down at uh, Delungra in New South Wales, and then we purchased uh, Pine Grove feedlot at Milmerin. At the same time, we were um, getting the license to build Grassdale. So we sort of went from no feedlot ownership to where we suddenly had 50, 50 odd thousand head of feedlot space of our own. Yep. So, which was owned by investors and Morton and Co. I guess. So. And how did you go filling, getting uh, the? How did we go? Probably um, not very well for a fair while. So. <laughs> getting the cattle in. Uh, oh, we got cattle in, but yeah, it was just a really unprofitable period. So, it was um, yeah, very difficult times. Margins were very low. Um, feedlotting. I mean, the big change in feedlotting has been in recent years because the I guess the sale price is higher than your cost of gain. And that's a 
the cost of gain is basically just the um, the you know the dry matter or the conversion, the number of kilos it takes to put on one kilo of meat, yep. and that cost is a lot lower than the sale price. So that's made a huge difference in feed loading. And and what have been the drivers of that? Uh, just international demand for beef, and um, I guess grain prices. Even though grain prices are quite high today, um, the, your cost of gains is still. In in terms of your business, like you've you've moved from being purely just a beef business, and we heard from Stephen before about you've got um, farm hall transport. You've now got the kind of the next version of the business about to uh, come come to market in in terms of the fertilizers. Like was it was the vision always to continue expanding or uh, probably. I mean, one thing is I've found when you're employing people, unless you keep growing, they get bored, and mm -hmm. so you'll lose people. Um, so we always try to keep going. Um, but the the other businesses that we're starting are all associated businesses. I don't, like, we wouldn't want to get into something completely different. Yep. So we're, um, they're all businesses that help the main business, if you like. So that's yep. how, we, how we try to, so we don't really look outside of our, everything's associated, like the trucking business, the fertiliser business, feed supplements, that's that's where we're sort of trying to drive. So. How long does something like the fertiliser business sit as an idea before it really comes onto the table? Uh, it took a long time to convince everybody that it was a good <laughs> idea. So, and um, so we're still not making any money out of it yet, but it will, it will be a good idea, I'm sure. But yeah, it took probably five years. Yeah. And do you think... Yeah, like the other players are, are moving in that space as well, or is it fairly complex? Uh, we're we're fortunate because we've got uh, cheap energy out there, um, so that's made it. Um, we've got arrangements with Colson Gas, so that helps us in the processing. So that's been that's one of the reasons why I guess we were willing to take the risk. Yeah. Uh, but look, there's a lot of people trying to value out the um, the manure. We at the one feedlot, Grassdale, we get a hundred thousand tons. Of yeah, what would you have done with it before? Uh, we sell it to farmers um, because you can only use so much on your own property. Yep. And then the rest of it just gets sold to farmers. Yeah, okay. So the market's always been there in terms of you have... Yeah, at a very low price. Yeah, yeah. certainly it's, um, there's no value adding. I mean, you can compost it and build the value there. But it's a, a fairly... Um, yeah, it's not, um, it's not very viable. It's really just cost recovery. Interesting. And so that's where the, the granules will really drive that. Yeah, that yeah. And look, we've got export demand um, as well as, uh, you know, we've, we've sent trials over to Western Australia. We've got uh, Victoria. So it, the thing is, once you've granulated it, then you can truck it for... What is the process in terms of that? We compost the, uh, the manure. And that takes sort of maybe six weeks to compost it. Once it's composted... Then it uh, is ground into a fine fines, and then it's uh, we put that through an extruder, and once it's extruded, then it goes into a rounders basically, and um, gets uh, goes through a dryer, and um, so the whole process, it's quite an expensive process to get to the other end, but it's um, we're building it so that eventually we'll be able to granulate the whole lot. Plan. Yeah. Wow. It's gonna be. But the the idea behind, I guess, is that we can add other products to it, so we'll add gypsum or add other synthetic fertilizers so. well it's pretty pretty good timing in yeah. terms of no no it's exactly right that's why we're sad that it's not done it's, it's not operating at full bore yet but it will be yeah 
What do you reckon has been the balance for you in terms of uh, people say to be successful, like so much of it is timing and luck. It, has it been a, a really well-executed game plan? or Melbourne Stables very well, well executed. I've never heard that. Yep. <laughs> but, uh, no, I think we're... Um, I mean, we've... Uh, I think we were lucky we got... Um, I involved myself with some really good people, um, so good employees, but also people that helped us practice financially and things like that. So, and I guess that's probably been a key thing for us, um, just being able to survive the hard times. And yeah. that's... Um, and I guess we certainly had... A, you know, we, we had a number of years where we lost money for consecutively, so it's, that was pretty difficult. Yeah. How, how do you, like, in terms of keep going, is it that you, you know what the vision is and you've got full belief in it? Yeah, look, I've, um, I think we've now, you said the momentum, like we, we are sort of on a, on a, you know, plenty of growth. Uh, it's been good having Stephen as CEO, so that's, um, he's, uh, he's managing, uh, does a lot of managing of all the people, which are the, the numbers of people keep growing. So that's, um, and I guess it gives me time just to have a look at what other opportunities are out there. Yeah. So that decision, because this is something I did write down, because I was really interested in asking you, because you go from, and you've got children as well, but th- this business is, is quite a baby of yours as well. How did you go in terms of actually that decision and the thought process of maybe I'm not the right person to be in the driving seat for this? I think nearly everybody I've ever employed, most most people, the job has outgrown them. And, you know, I think this job, basically, I I don't think I'm the right guy to be managing 260 people yeah. and things like that. And we, we plan to have four or 500 people in the next number of years. So, I mean, that's probably the, the realisation that, um, yeah, there's people out there. I mean, I used to buy the cattle and um, myself, and I realised that I wasn't the best cattle buyer. So then I started putting on cattle buyers, and that was, that was a good decision. You can't do everything yourself. Yeah. Have you had a, uh, over everything you've done in the business from over the 25 years, is there a favourite role which you've had which you just absolutely loved? Uh, yeah, I used to love marketing the cattle. So that was probably a, one thing that I gave up, um, gave that to somebody else as well. Um, and that was probably the hardest thing. Um, and I'm still quite involved in those decisions that are made now. Um, but I'm not, uh, I'm not doing the sales. But yeah, that was probably the harder thing. That's what I missed a bit. It's pretty exciting when you're going in and trying to sell cattle and trying to make a buck out of them. Was it always about opening up like a new market or, or do you approach it as trying to just to build the capacity in existing ones? Uh, well, at the moment, there's so much demand that it's really, it's actually feedlot space driven. Like we can only have so many markets. We, we also... Um, we are using other people's feedlots now, so we've um, yeah, well. expanded beyond our beyond our own again. Uh, but we'll look to build more feedlot space, and with that, we'll market those cattle into new markets. But we already have some of those markets lined up now. Yeah, wow, that's exciting. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. So, in terms of for you, like your role now, executive chairman, so you're still very much involved um, in the business. What what does it look like for you, your role? Uh, going to ask me about golf on Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> I played golf on Tuesday, yeah. so that was one of my main things. But um, no, I've, uh, Stephen, I talk to Stephen on a regular basis and we're always, um, we spend a fair bit of time working out what the company
company where we can grow and what we can do. Yeah. How is the golf going though? Uh, not not very well lately, but anyway, I've um, I've been losing lately, but anyway, I still enjoy it. So. <laughs> Playing in the I used to feel guilty every every time I played golf, so that's why I actually act, that was one of my reasons for putting on Stephen, so I don't feel guilty. Oh, you said you'd still go? It was a Tuesday Arvo was always... No, no, I didn't. Um, I used them to go back then. Yeah, okay. <laughs> in, in terms of for you, like, do you, do you ever plan uh, on retiring? This could be a bombshell moment. No. Do you, do you ever see yourself, um, yeah, slowing down or, or stopping? Uh, no, look, I really like where I'm at at the moment, so I don't, um, I don't think that I want to retire at the moment. I think it's... Um, I've got... I've got probably the best job in the company now. So A question we did have, like I've got a couple here. Um, but one thing I did want to know, in terms of for the average punter, so like myself, who I've seen feedlots, haven't necessarily been on them, but can you run us through like at a very high level, like what happens from beginning of the supply chain for the animals, what happens through your business and kind of where it ends up? Yeah, so we, um, so first of all, we'll purchase the cattle. Uh, we buy about 98% of our cattle direct from the properties. Uh, we don't, don't uh, buy a lot from sale yards. Um, we, uh, so we buy those cattle, they get delivered to the feedlot, we'll uh, induct them, so we, um, and they get ear tagged, they get um, treated for their health. Um, then they go into the feedlot, they get looked after on low energy diets for the first number of weeks, and just while you transform their, um, their rumens. Uh, and then basically they're um, they're fed for anywhere between 100 and um, 400 days for a wag year. So, and the cattle are inspected every day. We have people pen riding, uh, looking through the cattle, making sure that everything's healthy. And um, and through that time, we either market them before they go on feed or during the period. Have you got a um, a day or a moment which really stands out as kind of the pinnacle uh, over the years? Uh, Look, I still remember the day that the business turned around from losing money. So, yeah. Because it lost money for four or five years in a row, and then we um, it just turned around one day. And I remember the, I remember I made a sale cattle, and I thought it was a pretty good sale. And then every sale after that, we're, then we started to make money again. So the turning just, point. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, I think once you've got a business that's profitable, then you can then you can start to think about how you can improve it. I guess it's very tough when a business is not profitable because you're just hanging on to survive and so you don't do anything really innovative then. Uh, we've been lucky. I've always had a good board of directors in Morton Co that has been pretty supportive uh, along the time. So they've, um, yeah, we've been definitely the, the innovation. We've got, we've got some really good things that we're looking at doing and the feed supplementing I think is going to be a, a large business down the track because... Those business, I think that cattle prices are going to stay fairly high. I'm sure they're they're starting to fall at the moment a little bit. But um, you know, while cattle prices are high, people are going to invest in their cattle. So you'll see people supplementing their cattle to get extra kilos. Of. Tell tell me on that because you, you mentioned the word profitable, and some people think of it as a bit of a dirty word. But we're every business in any part of society is talking about sustainability, kind of as a buzzword. But when it comes to Profit, like what is what is the role of profit in, in being a sustainable business? Well, 
I mean, for a start, you can't reward your staff unless you're profitable. And then we can't... We've got really good assets that our staff work in. So that's, um, you know, that's important to me, I guess, that there's good working conditions. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, we've got... We're, we're doing a lot to reduce our emissions. We've got plans there. We've got trials being done. I mean, I think, like, everybody's got to... We have to be more sustainable, so we're working on those... Those. And in, in terms of the emissions piece, like, do you think it's really it's going to be a government mandate that's going to change how we operate, or is it going to be private businesses? No, no, I think it'll be private. Look, we're certainly uh, in feedlotting. It's actually a lot easier to to implement plans because you, you're feeding the cattle every day. Obviously, on pasture, it's harder. So we're hoping the supplements that we're going to produce will reduce emissions, and that's where we're sort of targeting. I guess. And is that something that you you roll out on mass across everything, or is it very much still in its infancy? Uh, well, we hope it's going to be like we we're hoping that it's going to be a large business, but um, we're still, I guess, we're still planning on how we're going to build it. So that's um, but we have we bought a small um, we've got a business at Gyra in supplements, and then we're building at a grass tile. We've got the first stage being built at the moment of a feed supplement plant, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, great. Yeah. Where the ag industry is at now, do you, is there something which wishes, like within you, that you wish you were coming into the industry as a twenty-something-year-old today? Uh, do you mean do I wish that I was coming in? Yeah, like do you see now more opportunities today than what there were for you uh, when you first entered? Look, no, I think. Um, I mean, I think the one thing that has changed for everybody in agriculture is that. There's more money available now. Um, you know, when I when I first started um, 25 years ago, there really wasn't a lot of money available for people, so it was a lot tougher to get funds. I guess interest rates were a lot higher. I mean, we've had a dream run for the last number of years with low interest rates. Um, our business obviously needs a lot of capital to run, so that's helped us a lot to grow. But um, yeah, so no, I but. Being somebody, like, everything's so expensive these days. Like, if you want to buy a cattle property, obviously it's very hard to do it unless, um, you know, you need a fair bit of equity. So it's pretty tough. So. Yeah, absolutely. A question, we better bring Alice and, and your kids into it. Yep. Did, did you, do you hope or did you hope that as you're building this business that it was something that your kids would step into one day? Uh, look, I was, I was interested in them being involved, but... I think the day that I brought brought other shareholders into the business, it sort of changes it. So yeah. you just can't um, put your children into into roles. So Alice um, Alice works for the National Bank, so um, she could be of help to me. But, yeah. Um, but anyway, she's uh, out in Roma, and um, but my other children, I don't think uh, my son may may come back and be involved in the feed supplement business, maybe. It's certainly. Very different business and a different industry to like where you started. It was um, getting help on the accounts and finance side, but now there's a whole side of research and development, and you've got the the marketing and the evolution of marketing. It's yeah, like there's a lot of opportunities. I mean, that's you know, I, like I said, we think that we'll have four or five hundred people working this business in four or five years' time. So there's plenty of opportunities if they did want to come and work in Morton Co. But they'd have to just start wherever they get a job. So yeah, they um. They wouldn't get any leg up. No. 
<laughs> a question, and I have asked the others, so we'll be um, listening closely to your answer. No, it, you get the chance to go back to a high school and talk to Year 10 students about careers in agriculture. What would be your message to them? I think I was, like, the key thing for me was I got some great mentors back then, I think, and people that um, they, they all wanted to try to help. Um, so I involved myself with some really good people. Um, you know, they were, they were mainly older people, I guess. Um, you know, they were a, there was a few that come to mind and they, um, they were a great help. They also financially helped me, but they were, they were great sounding boards. And one last question around the vision for where Morton Co is heading. Where do you, if you were to paint the, the vision of where it is in five to ten years' time, what, what do you see the business as there? Uh, well, I guess we just we expect it to be, I guess, twice the size as it is today. So that's where we're, we're aiming and I guess hopefully we can just keep on growing it. Normally in agriculture you always have your flat periods and so we hope we're not coming into the, one of those. It doesn't feel like we are. So, but we'll uh, just keep on growing the business. And um, yeah, so I think, I think the future is very bright at the moment you know, like for all of agriculture really. Fantastic. Well, Charlie, thank you so much for coming on the Humans of Agriculture podcast for a chat. Thank you. Well, there you've got it. From very humble beginnings, Charlie certainly found a way to turn those dreams into a reality and uh, bring some incredible people that we've already heard from in Stephen O'Brien and Lily Bingham into his business. And, And as he said, he certainly got the right people in the right seats to turn that dream into a reality. We do have a video coming out in the coming weeks from our time up uh, at Morton Co. there at Grassdale Feedlot. So you can go find out two ways. If you want to find out first before anyone else, jump to our website, humansofagriculture.com and sign up to our mailing list. You'll be getting first access to that video when it comes. Otherwise, jump over to our socials at humansofagriculture with an underscore and give us a follow. Look after yourselves and we'll see you next week. Cheers.